every good work that you've called us to. We thank you, Father. We ask you for doors of utterance to be open, and we might speak as we ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, that truly we might make, have wisdom and understanding concerning the things that you have planned for us and the things that you have for us to walk in right here and right now in our generation. And we give you the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and every life by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Good evening, church. Amen. Good evening, church. Amen. How are you this evening? Amen. Praise the Lord. You gotta be, uh, you're going to have to shout and have more enthusiasm than that than to, to be able to get God moving, right? God really doesn't move on a low tone. He moves in a high place, huh? So how are you doing tonight? Praise the Lord. Why don't you greet three or four people around you, tell them that you're glad that they're here. Youth, you can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody say the Lord is good. Lord is good. Hallelujah. He's good. His mercy endures forever and ever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I just want to, uh, again, you guys who are here, I want to tell you the, the announcement went up today. Uh, we're, we're a little bit behind. I mean, June's coming up faster than we know. But on June the 3rd, Friday, June the 3rd, we're going to have a barbecue, uh, Men's Stand Tall uh, barbecue, and uh, we're just going to launch and begin to... Uh, express to you all um, what we're going to be doing as we move forward uh, into Stand Tall Men's Ministry. Uh, we want to uh, really gather together, encourage the men, uh, support the men uh, in what God has for you right now. Uh, in this time, you know, there's a, a really an attack culturally upon men. Anytime the world begins to attack a situation, we need to uh, stand up and look at it because the world is contrary to God. And so if the world doesn't like something, God probably does. Amen. Right? And so, um, you know, as they've endeavored to really uh, push back on, on men and the leadership that they have, it's really just a, 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 the enemy pushing back on a plan that God has. Amen? And so uh, God doesn't want, as I said this morning, he doesn't, you know, we have, you know, people always want to say or the, the world wants to say, well, man, men, if men rise up, women have to be put down. And if women rise up, then men have to be put down. Well, that, that's not even God's plan. God has a plan for us to work together. Amen. And we're better together than we are apart. We're better uh, living, recognizing uh, the expression of each a person in each gift and each gender that God has created, that we work together in great strength, right, instead of exposing weaknesses and causing things to come crumbling down. And so, you know, we're, we're looking to encourage men to rise up to be the husbands God's called them to be, the fathers God's called them to be, uh, because there's challenges in the day and the generation that we live in. But it doesn't matter what all the challenges, God saw them coming. God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. His word is forever settled in heaven. His word transcends cultural differences and cultural times. Thank you for your enthusiasm. His word is just as true today and will be till Jesus comes again Amen. as it was during every revival that took place, right? The word is still true. 
and the word transcends, and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to accompany us when we walk in the word, right? There's a place where the word and the spirit agree. Sometimes we just want the spirit, and uh, you know, without the word, spirit, you know, you get all spiritual. Without the word, it'll go off course. Because you can get all excited and think the Spirit's telling you something, but all of a sudden you examine the Word and say, well, that doesn't go along with the Word. Well, then that's not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit and the Word always agree. Right? But then you just have the Word and no Spirit, and it just starts, you, you, if you're not careful, then it says the, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit of the Word gives life. And so you need the Word and the Spirit to really generate and stir those things up. And so the enemy's always trying to get us in a different position or place. But I uh, just want to remind you, just get that on your calendars. There will be a, a few more announcements, things to come about that. Um, but uh, as I said, it kind of came up, and it's coming up pretty quick. The golf tournament's coming up pretty quick. Uh, time just keeps moving. We're moving at the speed of life, and our information uh, outflow isn't moving at the same pace. And so <laughs> you can pray for us, but we'll get all that out. And, uh, but, you know, anyway, we, you know, when we do announce something six months ahead of time, you all don't sign up until the last three weeks anyway. So we thought maybe we'd just try to announce it three weeks and see if we get a, a quicker response. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. So a few things coming up for you, and uh, the Brzees will be here in just a few weeks, and you want to mark your calendar. You don't want to miss that, and Dr. Avery Jackson is going to be here, and you don't want to miss that. So mark your calendars. I believe that God has divine appointments with some of the guests that we have, and so you don't want to miss it. There will be impartations into your life that will make all the difference in uh, walking in what God uh, has for you. Amen? If you weren't here this morning or weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, want to give you an opportunity to give. We're always thankful for your generosity and uh, what God is doing through you. Um, again, if you weren't here this morning, just to go on, if you want to listen to the clip that Alan uh, had for the offering, it was just awesome. You know, we're getting so filled up every day. If you're watching anything, listening to anything, lack, 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 lack. But God is not a God of lack. God is a God of abundance. Jesus died that we might live a life and live that life more abundantly. And so we're believing for you just what the Word of God says, that God supplies your every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That as you have given, it will be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give into your bosom. Amen? Praise the Lord. Are we ready? Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we magnify you. We thank you that you have a plan and a kingdom that overrides, supersedes this world. We thank you that your kingdom principles are in your word. And so we thank you that the kingdom principles concerning and governing our finances and how we go about that are right there in the word. And it begins with sowing seed and understanding the principle of seed time and harvest. That what is sown, you're not mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. And so as we sow to the things of the spirit in the kingdom of God, we will of the spirit in the kingdom of God reap everlasting life. And so we thank you, Lord, that it is those who sow your, the, the words that you have spoken to us about your blessing and about harvest coming into their lives. I thank you, Father, that it comes to pass, that truly you do supply every single need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. If you'll open your Bibles to Romans, the eighth chapter. A couple of weeks here, we spent uh, uh, adding to Sunday morning on our, our series on foundations, and so we're, we're coming back to Romans, the eighth chapter, 
And, um, uh, you know, we have covered uh, a number of things moving through this from the very beginning of Paul explaining the world that they were living in, not that uh, much different what was going on in their culture uh, than is, uh, we're realizing is taking place in our culture today. And he said the things that were taking place, uh, the sexual immorality, uh, the thought processes, it says, you know what, they, they may have had an idea of God, but they never retained God in their thinking. We don't retain God in our thinking and God's word in our thinking, things begin to go astray. And so they thinking themselves wise became fools. And he said, I'll, you know, if a man wants to just think according to the course of this world, God will allow him to think that way. But it's a lower way of thinking. We have to be careful that the world comes and uh, brings all of its philosophies and its understanding, and it goes counter to the word of God. It's not a higher way of thinking. The enemy will always try to convince you that, wow, these people are so smart and it may look smart because they may be finding some keys to operate in this world, but we don't operate according to this world system. So there's things that may look great to this world system temporarily, but they're not eternal principles. And so God says he turned them over to a debased mindset, a lower way of thinking. In other words, just really, you know, that, that uh, uh, debased nature, that that carnal way of thinking, that almost primitive way of thinking. And that primitive way of thinking, we see that it, it's, it's of the flesh, and it all of a sudden causes us in that form of thinking to just say that we're the smartest, we're, we're the brightest, and we start biting and devouring and consuming one another as a culture if we're not careful. And so we see that happening in our society throughout the world today, people thinking themselves so smart, but they create more and more trouble, and there's more and more strife, there's more and more division, there's more and more destruction, and we as the church have to be careful to understand why that's happening around us and understand that God has a better plan. God has a better plan. God has a higher way for us to think. God has a higher nature that has come into our life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he continues to, to Paul continues to write to them about that higher nature. He explains in, you know, in, in Romans chapter 3, we went into that, how everybody sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has made a way for us to everlasting life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 5, he explains to us how sin entered the earth through one man. Sin and condemnation. But through one man, Jesus Christ, came justification and righteousness. Amen? And so in 6, then he just explains how that happened, that Jesus died and he was buried and he raised from the dead. And when that happened, everything that was upon us died with him. The penalty was paid. That when he was raised, we were raised with him. And when he was seated at the right hand of God in a place of authority, we were seated with him. And so he goes on to say, well, now we, we see this new life, but is the law bad? Was the law a bad thing? No. It showed us that we needed a Savior. And so then he comes to the point at the end of 7 that we talked about, you know, and most people see this conflict of Paul. He said, the things that I want to do are the things that I find myself not doing, and the things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, because now i found that there's this old nature working in my members, he said, but through the Spirit, I, I desire to serve God, but in my old nature, 
I keep going away from that. And so there was a conflict taking place. So uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, therefore, There uh, is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Paul is trying to sum up everything that he said right here about those who are in Christ Jesus. He said this divided state of what I want to do, but I can't seem to do, and what I don't want to do that I keep doing, he said there's a resolution that comes to that, that it, that it is all found, the resolution of that is in the glorious triumph of Christ Jesus where the Spirit rises over the flesh, right? The Spirit nature rises over the flesh, and so for this reason, instead of just going, I, my, I mean, Paul struggled, so I'm going to struggle. You ever, you ever looked at that? You ever looked back at chapter 7 and going, I'm in good company. Because the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. Things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Well, Paul was not trying to have a stop at the end of chapter 7 and saying, well, I guess ju that's just the way I'm going to live my life, wanting to serve God and not being able to. No, he says there's an end to this conflict when you begin to understand that there is no condemnation. In other words, that which brought condemnation, that rule of sin that brought condemnation is broken. And now there is a hope for the believer. Instead of fear of condemnation, there is the hope that there's everlasting life and that relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? So although we're still, we got flesh around us, although we're still subject at times to the law, right? The Christian that is now not serving his flesh, but serving the spirit or walking according to the spirit shall come into a place, not of condemnation, but come into a place of the glory of God. Come on, that's what his whole idea is, that his whole thinking so he begins to explain to us, and when he says that those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, if we're not careful, we begin to think, well, then I have to do something of my own self to make this work like this. So we get back into what? Trying to not walk in the flesh. All right, so very subtly, we get pulled back into what I can do. But actually, he begins to explain. He says, those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So verse 2, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That word law there just means a regulative principle. A regulative principle. So he said there was a regulative principle under sin that dictated or regulated how you lived in the flesh or in the old nature. He said, but now the regulative nature of the spirit has set me free from the regulative nature of the flesh. Right? So those who walk after the flesh and not, or after the spirit, not after the flesh, is what he's saying is those who allow the new nature or the regulative nature 
Now that they have of the Spirit, it sets them free of that old regulative nature or the law, right? That, that domination, that, that thing that governed your life, that old nature separate from God that was driven by the enemy is now broken. You're set free from that. Why? Because you do so many good things? No, but because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now the Holy Spirit came into your spirit, and there is a new nature that regulates or governs the way that we live. Come on, it's just a principle of God's Word that that new regulative nature, that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted what Jesus has done, there is the spirit of life that is in Christ. You've been in Christed when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Any man that be in Christ is what? A new creation. In other words, there's a new creation, a new regulative principle. There's a new law at work in us. And it sets me free from the old regulative nature. So really, I mean, this is a lame analogy, but just let me use it. It's the one that comes to me. So as you're driving from Colorado to Utah, right, the moment you cross over that border, you are set free from 75 miles an hour. Because the regulative nature of Colorado binds you to 75 miles an hour. But the regulative nature of the state of Utah sets you free from 75 and lets you drive 80. And you have no fear, right, of being pulled over at 80 because you're free to drive 80 and not 75. Right? So... When we get born again, we no longer have fear of the old nature and sin governing and regulating how we think and how we live because we've crossed over, right? We've crossed over into Christ and we're no longer regulated and limited by the sinful nature, but we're set free to be who God's called us to be, not set free to sin but set free into the righteousness of God. But just like that, if you say, wow, I don't like 80 miles an hour, I'll just turn around and be restricted to 75. I mean, I wish Montana still had unlimited speed limit because that's a better analogy. You cross out of limited to unlimited potential. But you can go back and cross that border. But he says, no. No, it's not that same way in Christ Jesus, that once you give your life to Jesus Christ, what he's trying to let them see is once you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is something brand new and of God that now is what governs or regulates our life. And so there's no reason to even start thinking about why I should live how I used to live because that no longer has a hold on me. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, first of all, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And here to the Philippian church, Paul is um, 
trying to explain to us, I believe this, that, you know, when that new regulative nature, when you got born again, that the Spirit of God came to live on, on the inside of you, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So instead of this just thinking about it's a law, we begin to realize that it's a principle that really regulates or governs our life. And so he says in verse 13 of chapter 2 to the Philippians, he says, for it is God at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So here Paul is trying to really cause them to see that the struggle between the old nature and not being able to do what I want to do for God because the old nature, I found out that old nature exists. He said, listen, once you get a revelation that when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, there is no, no longer the result of the governing nature of the flesh, which always brings condemnation. There's no fear of that condemnation because now you have a regulative nature of the Spirit of God. So we get to this mindset, you know, if you're not careful, you start to think about, well, what about all the Christians that are doing things wrong? Well, why are they doing things wrong? Because they're still stuck in Romans chapter 7. They're still trying, trying to do what's right Instead of just allowing the Spirit of God to regulate and govern their life. They're more conscious of what used to govern and regulate their life and their thoughts than the new creation that they are in Christ Jesus. So, no, years ago, more and more people were talking about righteousness consciousness instead of sin consciousness. If we're more righteousness conscious, if, you're, if your thought process, my thought process, was always stayed on righteousness, it would be much more difficult for you and I to fall into sin. But if we're always conscious of sin and what we used to do and what our flesh desires to do, we just keep giving attention to that old regulative form that governs our life. But the moment we set, set ourselves apart and realize, man, when I got born again, that regulative principle was broken. The law of sin and death was broken. Come on, I'll say it again. The law of sin and death was broken over your life. The law of sin and death should no longer govern or control your thoughts and my thoughts. They should no longer control our behavior. They should no longer put a pull on our, our, our desires. Why? Because it's broken. You say, well, then, Pastor, why does it do that? Because we don't know that it's been broken. We still look and say, I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And in that, that subtle way of thinking, we begin to say, you know what? At least I'm going to heaven, man. I can't control this, and I'm under sin, and I make all kinds of mistakes. And, man, I'm just a sinner. But thank God he saved me, and I'm going to heaven. Something more, much more impactful took place. It's like we were saying this morning. We get to the point of Kesara Sarah, and we live irresponsibly. And to just stand back and say, you know... I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's living irresponsibly. I'm a sinner. I'm going to sin. I'm just going to keep sinning. I can't help it. Well, then what about the blood of Jesus? His blood was not shed in vain. 
Come on, he didn't die on the cross. If it was just about you getting to heaven, there's a number of ways that that he could have got you to heaven. No, he paid the price for what sin was doing to govern and to destroy you and keep you from a relationship with God. And he came to utterly destroy that so we no longer have to live separate from God dictated to by the fads of this world, which are governed by the prince of the power of the air, sin nature that works in us. He said, I've destroyed that in my own body. Come on, when you read this and you're like, I'm just a sinner, and it talks about Jesus and his body being beaten and bruised and whipped and hung on the cross, and you say, I'm still just a sinner. You haven't understood That what he did, and he died, the death that we should have died, that the price was paid, justification was met. Condemnation and the fear of condemnation should no longer rule over your thoughts and your mind. Guilt should no longer rule over your mind. Because when it does, the devil uses it in a weird effect. He said, now, if you really felt guilty, you wouldn't do it. No, when you feel guilty, you're, you're trying to cover that and do whatever you can Whatever you can to not feel guilty. It's proven clear back in the garden. What did they do when they sinned? They felt guilty. They didn't come out to God and go, we feel so guilty, God, we're sorry. They went and hid themselves. Guilt will make you hide from God. Guilt will make you find a way to say, look it, I've covered that. I've done enough. Look at my works. God, you should accept my works. Why? Because I feel guilty. He says, no, I don't accept your works. The way you're going to get guilt and shame and condemnation to no longer govern you and be in the back of your thought process is to know that I broke that governing principle once and for all. Come on, he wants to know us to know that we're free from that. Come on, it goes on to say this in uh, verse 3 and 4. It says, where am I at? Sorry, i got to go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. It says, actually, uh, it was impossible for the law to do what God wanted to do that he could only do through Jesus Christ. Why? Because the law was weak in that old flesh nature. So God did what the law could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now listen, he didn't send Jesus in sinful flesh. He sent him in the likeness of flesh, right? To bear the penalty of sin in the flesh, in his flesh, right? So that we could be set free in our flesh. So he came in sinless flesh so that he could bear our sin in his flesh so that it would break the power over our sinless flesh so we could live righteously. God sent him in that way so that God, through Jesus Christ, bearing our sin in his body could condemn once and for all, judge sin in the flesh. The judgment of sin rested upon Jesus in the flesh. For what first purpose? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In who's us? Us who do not walk according 
to those governing principles or the regulating principles of the flesh, but we live according to the regulating principles of the spirit. Come on. He's trying to take all the work away and understand, listen, yes, I'm going to live a different kind of life. Yes, I'm going to live a different way, but not because I try so hard, but because I have a revelation that something new is the regulating principle that is in my life. That if according to Romans chapter 6, I died with him and I rose again, then the law no longer has dominion over me. I am under grace. And that's why he said, listen, understand this, that you're no longer under this governing authority. If you go back and live under the governing authority of sin, it will enslave you. But if you have a revelation of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and you give yourself to righteousness, now it will govern or enslave your life. It will be the regulating principle of your life. What's he trying to do? He's trying to take the struggle out of the Christian life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Come on, we get into this and religion has bombarded this. Oh, come on now. Come on now. You can't say that to people. You just can't say that to people. If people think that they're no longer under that regulating, governing thing of the law, man, they'll just go sin. No, it's just the opposite. If you know, God so wants you to know, you are filled with the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The new life that you have in Christ Jesus is now a a, a superseding law, a superseding regulative principle over your life. It supersedes what death and sin was doing to you. When we get to the point of saying, yeah, I know, I did that, and I, I thought that, and I acted on that, but I couldn't help it, you're just saying, I am living under the old regulative principles of the flesh, the old nature. But when you realize, no, I don't live under that anymore. I don't live under that anymore. He said, there's a freedom that comes to you. For those who live according to the flesh do set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? So he's not talking about you. Is he? He's not talking about you. He's explaining to them how somebody before they're born again lives totally according to the flesh. That their flesh dictates their attention and their mindset. Right? Those who live according to the flesh... In other words, the old nature, those who live every day habitually according to the sin nature. Anybody here lives habitually according to the sin nature? No. So he said what they do is they habitually think about things and are consumed with things that have to do with the sin nature. Which he's going to say eventually draws you farther and farther away from God. So we watch the world, and we're like, how can they do that? Because they habitually keep giving place, and their mind is set on that old regulative nature, which that flesh just keeps taking them farther and farther from God. Come on. But he says, 
but those who live according to the Spirit. Now he's talking about you. He's talking about me, right? You live according to the Spirit? I know everybody here is like, eh, eh, kind of, no, no. That's what he's trying to tell them. Listen, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, before Jesus, you habitually lived and your mindset was constantly on the carnal, the nature of the flesh, the, the nature that had sinned. But if you're born again, you now live in the spirit. And so when you recognize that, your mind is set on things of the spirit. And so when we say that, so many people just think, oh, you know, I don't want to just always be thinking about the Spirit. I mean, ooh. well, the things of the Spirit aren't that bad. I mean, to just tell you, they're not even really kind of spooky. When he's talking about this new nature, he's saying, listen, you are no longer uh, 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 habitually caught up in the flow of sexual immorality Anger, bitterness, hatred, variance, outbursts of wrath, drunkenness, idolatry. Come on, that's what's going on in those who aren't born again. They're constantly thinking about idols in their life. They're thinking about what can I set up to give all my time to, that I can give all my finances and my resources to. What is it that's going to satisfy me? And because it doesn't, they're angry, and they're trying to find it in all kinds of other things. And so their mind is always on that. But he says, listen, when you've been born again, there's a new life and a new nature, and you begin to think about that, and you begin to think about love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and meekness. You begin to think about the power of God and the power that God has given you to overcome. You begin to think about the anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage. You begin to think about being free from sin and death. Your mind begins to habitually be consumed with things of the Spirit. Not crazy, wild, woo-woo things. Talking about the life and nature of the Spirit. Because without that, the, 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 the stuff we're looking for, the instantaneous healings and deliverance without knowing where that proceeds from, it proceeds from a new life and a new nature. It's, it's that we're partakers of the divine nature and the power that goes with that nature. And when there's confusion about what nature we're actually living in, it disrupts the flow of the power of God. Are you with me? Thank you. Somebody's catching on. Come on. Hallelujah. I'm just going to take this commercial message break so I don't forget. Whoever deals with this thing, it's about to, uh, it's loose and it'll probably be broken unless it's tightened. So whoever handles the tightening of the podium... I know my mind is to be on the spirit, but right now it's on the moving of the top of the podium. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Come on. For the carnal mind, it, it, to, for to be carnally minded or to be thinking continually about the flesh and how it regulates what I do is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
He said, to set your mind on the old nature will always cause you to understand or feel separated from God. As a believer, have you ever wondered what gap is between you and God? He says, if you get back, the enemy will immediately, you start thinking about the old nature, you start thinking about sin and being under sin, and you'll think, I can't get close to God. You might say, no, I know I'm forgiven, but down in your heart, you think you're separated from God. He said that carnal mind, the things that just pertain to the flesh, will always get you separated from God. That's how the world feels, separate from God. That's why they're looking into everything and every other thing to try to fulfill what only God can fulfill, and they're ending up empty. But he said to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That word peace means to bring together that which is has been separated. He said, when you begin to think about the new nature of the Spirit, when you begin to think about the new life that you have in Christ, all of a sudden, there is a fulfilling in your life, and there is a understanding that what was separate from the old nature is now pulled together by the Spirit of God in my spirit. Come on, he's not just coming through this Romans chapter 8 and saying, now you got to live according to the Spirit, and you got to try that. He's No, he's trying to explain what happened when you were born again. You're no longer, your life is no longer regulated by that old nature. It's regulated by the Spirit of God. And then he explains this, why this? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. We wonder why it's going on, what's going on in the world with all the unbelievers and all the people out there, why they're not thinking right, why they're not making the right decisions, why they're not going with God. Because the carnal mind, the mind of the flesh nature is not controlled by godliness. It is an enemy of God. Come on, we're seeing it more and more, more and more in the culture that we live in. I mean, it's not about what they said it's about. I mean, it's just getting the enemy. The church is praying. And he's getting things stirred up. And the enemy's flat out coming. The spirit of Antichrist is coming right out and saying, we are against God. We are against the church. It's God and the church that's causing all this trouble for us right now. And we need to stop them. Why? Because that mind is against God. And even though we think because our culture was brought up in a mindset of Christianity, it was really our system from our forefathers was brought to us. The freedom that we have was to be a type of the freedom that we have in Christ, the gifts in people being able to express themselves and meet one another's needs in this free system that we had developed. They were doing their best to say, listen, this Christian life can be lived out in society in a certain way of freedom and gifts, and your gift will come up with things that will supply what I need, and yours will supply what I need, and together that should work out great as long as we're walking in love and working with each other and not trying to control one another. But the devil hates that. So the moment we get out of godly thinking into worldly thinking, it really starts to corrupt things. And when he, when he gets mad enough, he's just going to flat out say, listen, I am against Jesus and all these people. It's the spirit of Antichrist. But thank God the spirit of Christ lives in you. 
The antithesis of that is you and me, the church, the spirit of Christ, right? And so he says the carnal mind by nature is separate from God. Therefore, it's an enmity. It is anti-Christ. Now, don't take that too far because then everybody's going to start saying, oh, man. You just have to understand it's enmity against God. It's anti-God or anti the spirit of God. And therefore, it cannot be subject to the law of God and isn't. So we always have to be careful to go back to that, you know. When you were a sinner, you just sinned and you didn't care. You didn't go like, oh my gosh, I, I should really be serving God here. No, you were having fun not serving God. And when somebody told you about God, you were like, I don't have to serve God. I don't even believe in God, right? Because your carnal mind, your old nature wasn't subject to that. Though there was a yearning in your spirit and a void in your spirit, you were still bound under that nature separate from God, and your thinking was continually controlled by it. So he says, so then... Those who are in the flesh, those who are under the old flesh nature, those who are not born again cannot please God. Let that pause because that will mess up with your culture. Come on. He's just saying if you're lost and you're governed and the law or the, the principle that regulates everything you do in life is not God. You can't please God. That's not us. That's not us. So let the struggle be broken. Let the struggle be broken. Because once you realize that it's not about going back to that way of thinking and letting that govern you, it's about saying, I don't think that way anymore. I just don't think that way anymore. When the enemy comes and says, sure, you think that. No, I don't think that way anymore. I'm not governed by that thinking anymore. I'm born again of the Spirit of God. Verse 9, he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. How many of you, the Spirit of God dwells in you? Come on, so you're not in the flesh anymore. Again, we get that casual idea, it sounds good, it, it rolls off the tongue better. Well, I just got in the flesh. Well, no, you didn't. You're not going back to that old nature. Don't allow that mindset to say, well, I just, just for a moment, I went back to the old nature. No, the enemy's trying to rob you. Well, I just got in the flesh. No, that, he says, listen. He's about to say, if you get in the flesh, God really doesn't have part with you. And so we have to understand, do we make mistakes? Do we disobey God? Yeah, but it doesn't come out of our nature. It comes as we begin to navigate what God's called us to do and how we're going to walk in this righteousness. Come on. Are you with me? Come on. If you leave here and think, well, that's, man, that was a tough message. That was burdensome. Then you're not getting the gist of it. I want you to understand that you're free. Don't walk out of here and go, now I got to really try. Now, now I got to really. No, you don't try that hard. You can't do anything about it in your flesh. 
What you have to do is understand I receive Jesus and the Spirit of God dwells in me and the Spirit is in there and all I have to do is give him attention. He set me free from the other things. Now, if anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He is not his. Anybody who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to God. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. He said, listen, even though he said, if Christ is in you, understand this, that this flesh body, because sin entered into the earth, this body is still corruptible, right? This body is going to die, right? Unfortunately, unless we get caught in the rapture, Praise the Lord, Jesus might be coming. But this body is still subject to death because sin came into the earth. But your spirit has come alive unto God. Come on, that's what he's saying. The body, Christ is in you. He's going to energize you. We're going to look at that. The spirit and the energy of the spirit is going to revitalize and give energy and life to your mortal body. But understand that this body, except for Jesus come and raptures it, because of sin, is still going to die. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, your spirit came alive because of righteousness. So your body might die and have to be glorified in the resurrection of the dead. But right now, your spirit is alive unto God and made righteous, made in right relationship with him. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, how many of you he dwells in you? Come on, it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis 2 at creation. Come on, God's watching over his word to perform it. The Holy Spirit, just as God said, light be, and the Holy Spirit caused light to be. When God speaks a word over your life, the same spirit of God moves to make that come to pass in your life. Come on, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells within you. Come on, he's going to quicken, make alive, strengthen your mortal body for your time here on the earth. He's going to break the dictating, regulating law that drives your flesh and the temptation of that, he's going to turn that and make your desires and your, your, your weapon, your flesh, as an instrument of righteousness. Come on, you're free to begin to fulfill your divine destiny. Not to look back and say, man, I've done so many things wrong. I've messed up so much. I don't even know how God can. Uh, how could God do that? Because he sent Jesus Christ. And the, 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 the requirement of the law was fulfilled for you through the price that he paid. And the power of sin was broken over your life so that you could live righteously and fulfill your divine destiny and live every day of your life in peace with God, knowing I'm joined together with with him. I'm not separate from him. I want to walk with him every single day, alive unto God in the spirit. He goes on to say, therefore, brethren, you are not debtors to this old nature. You do not owe your old sinful nature anything. 
from this perspective, you don't want to go back to the good old days. You don't owe your flesh recognition of how much it did not do for you. You can just forget about it and go on with God. Come on. Not to live, not, you're not a debtor, not to the flesh, not to live according to that old nature. Come on, he's just trying to tell us that it, the enemy will keep coming back and saying, but you want to. Don't you want to? Come on, you need to. You need to. Look at, why, look at everybody else is doing it. Why did God say don't eat that? God just wants to keep things from you. God just doesn't want you to be all that you can be. I mean, there's things out there. He says, you don't owe that anything because it'll draw you into something that you don't even want to mess with. We want to live in the glory and the life of God. For if you live according to the flesh nature, you will die. You will be separated from God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Those who live according to this, these regulative principles of the Spirit are sons of God. He said, if you've allowed the Spirit of God to dwell in you, and be the governing force of your life, you know, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer offspring of Adam's disobedience. I'm no longer a son. And this is what Paul told uh, church after church in his writings. He said, you know, there in, in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, we don't follow the course of this world that is dictated by the prince of the power of the air. The spirit... The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. He's not talking about Christians who have disobeyed. He's talking about it totally governs those who are the offspring of Adam's disobedience. Through one man, sin entered into the earth. We're offspring of Adam and his disobedience. But no longer are we. But we've accepted Jesus Christ. We are born again of the spirit of God. And he said, if you let that just sink in and you allow that to guide you and to be the governing principle of your life, that the spirit lives within me and there's a new nature and a new life moving me forward. He said, you'll know that you're a son of God. Verse 15, he said, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Come on. So what's he saying? You know those days when all of a sudden... You start going, oh, no, I'm, I'm falling back. I, I'm going back to my old nature. Oh, no, what's going to happen? Oh, I messed up. I, he said, no, long, we, we don't have that spirit of bondage again to fear. We're not going back to the bondage of the old things. We're not afraid of condemnation. No, we've received the spirit of God. And if we make a mistake, we come before the throne of grace. We obtain mercy, and we find grace to help us in our time of need. We're not coming back under fear and bondage. We're not coming back under the old nature again, but we've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself is bearing witness with our spirit, the Holy Spirit in our spirit, bearing witness with us that we are children of God. 
And since we're children, we're heirs of his, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He said, if we go ahead and allow that old nature to be crucified with him, then we also are glorified with him. It's that choice from the beginning to set that aside, to be free from it, and to rise into a new place of the glory of God. Amen. He's talking about freedom and liberty. He's not talking about, oh my God, now I got to live right, and I am going to stake. Don't even go from here. Don't even let the devil tell you that about what I'm telling you tonight. This is about recognizing I don't have to do that. And I don't have to yield to that. And I don't have to let those old things anymore come and taunt me and pull me and make me feel like I'm not right with God. And the way that I get over some of the stuff that I used to do is to realize all of that was taken care of when Christ paid the price. And the struggle of wanting to do something and not being able to do it and not wanting to do something and keep doing it is settled in the revelation of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen? I know there's another half of chapter 8, but we're not doing it tonight. Because then we would be here exceptionally long. Why don't you stand up with me? Father God, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that we are living and we're crossing over into a threshold of time that is so vitally important for us as a church, that we don't get drawn into the things of this world and the things that are going on. That as we observe them going on and the evil and the terrible decisions and the, the things that look so against what you have planned that we don't get caught up in those and, and, and feel like that it's just such a difficult thing. But God, we begin to see what the Spirit of God is doing in the midst of all of that. To reach out to those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are in the flesh, yet they're searching for the very fulfillment the only thing that can fill what's on the inside of them, that void. And we are the ones that carry that truth, that life. We are the living example of what it looks like that the power of sin is broken and we freely live our lives for you. Not because we have to or else. We do it because you paid the price and we love you so much. Because you loved us. Reveal that to us, that the fear and the condemnation would be removed. And the love and the motivation to walk with you every day would become stronger and stronger. The joy of our salvation would arise. That our salvation and our Christianity is not a drudgery to try to get by so we can get some kind of uh, fulfillment out of what we have done, but we look at what you have done, and that's where our fulfillment is, is that without us, you paid the price for us, that we might experience life with you and enjoy life with you. So we stand against every lie of the enemy that would draw people in 
to the, or draw them back into a place where the old nature would try to govern. That revelation of the freedom and the life, the spirit of life that we have in Christ Jesus would become clearer and clearer. That we might enjoy and live in the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me.